0: Tonight on Rhode Island PBS Weekly.
1: Huge amounts of water are used to, like, produce a single yard of fabric.
2: Fashion has a big environmental footprint. And now, Generation Z is turning to thrift shops as the answer. So, you didn't buy new clothes for a whole
3: year?
0: Yeah, a year plus now. At some point in my life, it was about survival.
3: And you were homeless at one point? Yeah.
0: A few years during high school.
3: Was it true that you slept under a tree at Roger Williams Park? Oh yes. You smiled and say that 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 had to be
0: Because I mean what what am I gonna do? Cry about it? You know, it it made me the person I am today.
3: Good evening, welcome to Rhode Island PBS Weekly,
4: I'm Pamela Watts. And I'm David Wright. When it comes to trends, fashion often seems cyclical. That's true of our first story tonight, which is all about how Gen Z and millennials have embraced thrift shopping. For some, it's more than just a fashion statement, it's an environmental movement aimed at reducing reliance on fast, cheap manufacturing. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, Americans generated 13 million tons of clothing and footwear waste in 2018 alone. This report is part of our continuing series, Green Seeker. Associate producer Isabella Jabilian has the story.
2: Black Friday deals. We've got the classic black. A revolving door of trends. Don't you just love
4: it?
5: Love what? Tiffany's.
2: Shopping has been immortalized as a great American pastime.
6: You work on commission, right? Uh, Yes. Big mistake.
2: Big. Huge. I have to go shopping now. But imagine what it would be like to go without buying new clothes.
1: So in 2017, I I got a striped shirt (laughs) that was like, I said like, this is my last new thing I'm ever going to get.
2: That was the goal for Hanre Yan, A furniture design student at Rhode Island School of Design. He went nearly two years without buying a single new item of clothing. What did you do instead?
1: One like buying used so going through thrift stores finding things and if you also like one not like consuming clothes in the same way so like not being like oh like thinking like this would be so much fun to buy but more being like oh Uh, I need a a pair of pants. It's more based on like need rather than want. So buying less and getting less.
2: He also learned how to sew his own clothes, darn socks, and make his own repairs.
1: Not really all that much going on in my brain. (laughs) Just kind of a lot of doing, and letting, kind of letting my hands just do the work that they need to do. I'm a woodworker, and so like a lot of my work clothes, like my laps are kind of like a bench. And so I tend to wear out this area pretty fast. So putting in panels here and to repair that. So pants, I think you can see in the pocket here, like originally there's no bottom in the pockets.
2: Jan says his new approach to shopping began when he saw how clothes were made and how it affects the environment.
1: Huge amounts of water are used to like produce a single yard of fabric or especially in dyes and processing and agriculture too, like cotton is a, pretty like water-hungry plant.
2: And he says not too many people know that polyester comes from drilling oil and synthetics shed.
1: Fabrics make fuzz. It's the lint that comes out in your dryer and from synthetic fabrics, that's microplastics.
2: One study found that a polyester garment can cast off more than 1900 fibers in a single wash, which make their way through sewers and into waterways.
1: It's a huge source of microplastics in the ocean is synthetic fabrics, which is having a huge effect on ecosystems.
2: And Jan really reached a tipping point after seeing reports about the destructive impacts of making fast, cheap clothes.
4: There has been another horrific incident at a garment factory in Bangladesh. An eight-story building collapsed today, killing at least 145 people. It was pure chaos.
6: During morning rush hour, it simply collapsed.
2: In Bangladesh, environmental and labor laws are frequently ignored in the $1 billion export leather industry. Wastewater with harmful chemicals is dumped into neighborhood streams. This water is actually dyed blue because of the process. And workers process skins without protective gear, exposing them to known cancer-causing agents like chromium. And child workers are frequently seen operating heavy machinery. Fast fashion also causes problems long after it's used. Adam Minter is a journalist and expert on the global recycling industry.
7: I mean, one of the things that's happened over the last 25 years really, is that garments have become more difficult to recycle. You have manufacturers of textiles and apparel um, creating what are called polyblends, so cotton and polyester blended together. You know, that's a problem if you're a clothing recycler because uh, uh, cotton has properties, polyester has properties, and once you mix them, it's very, very difficult to separate them. And that's where you start seeing large amounts of textile waste.
2: And Yon isn't the only one opting out of this process.
7: Thrifting is, um, is a huge trend right now in the global apparel industry. And it's not just thrifting at thrift stores, of course, but it's also thrifting online. Because of the development of, you know, of apps, um, the Poshmarks, the thread ups, um, you know, various other apps, eBay, um, people are able to post for sale their old garments straight out of their closet um, and and they're purchased that way.
2: we have
6: something, and we love it. We'll wear it a couple times, and then we'll sell it
2: twenty four year old Jacqueline Jutris and twenty seven year old Olivia Garretts use Depop,
6: a resale app that's a favorite among Gen Z. A lot of people selling clothing online starts with like the closet cleanout. Like mm-hmm. for sure, that's where it Definitely. starts. And, like, you give a bag of your clothes to your friends to go through. But then, like, as you get older, you start to have like these pieces that maybe you don't wear anymore but are actually, like worth something. You can put a towel over it and then just iron it quick, quick. Jutris recently made her 700th sale on the platform. I know people who will, you know, use apps like that to list some of their clothes and then whatever they make, they basically immediately turn around and are purchasing new clothes from the app. So again, it just like all stays up. It's a little this. economy of its own. Absolutely, it's that's exactly what it is. And it's, again, it's very sustainable in that, you know, It's all being purchased secondhand. She and her friends found so much success online that they took their business
2: to Rhode Island's sidewalks. It's hot
6: out here. They might shrink when you get home. It's a group of five of us. um, And we all go thrifting. We store the clothing in our apartments. um, And then we either pop up in our driveway or at a local business. Um, We bring all of our racks, all of our own hangers, tables, everything. everything is tagged. (laughs) We make our own tags. We like to call ourselves, um, it's in our Instagram bio, it's a traveling thrift shop coming to a sidewalk near you. They call themselves pop-up PVD. My dad is like a carpenter, a career carpenter. He can't believe that we want to wear like Dickies and Carhartt pants. Like he's like, what are you talking about? I know. Like these are my work <laughs> pants and I think they're cool because they're like stand up. So Thanks for coming. Yeah, so.
2: On this day at URI, the group sells about 250 pieces, but replenishing their
6: stock has gotten more costly as thrifting has become more popular. There's definitely been overall price increases to the point where like You know, you go to pick up a top that a few years ago would have been like a super affordable $6.99 is now like a $12 to $13.99.
2: One place they go for deals is the Goodwill Outlet in Hamden, Connecticut. They call it The Bins. Here, they sell by the pound. And the more you buy, the cheaper it is. Every half hour or so, new bins roll out onto the floor. It's serious business for their main clientele, pickers people who buy in bulk and resell. Tamira Matthews, the store manager, runs the show here. There should be no
3: hands on the tables until the rotation is complete.
2: Everyone has to wait for her signal before they can compete for the best stuff. And then the free-for-all starts. All set. Some pickers specialize in denim, others vintage t-shirts. Some supply local thrift shops. Others spend months of the year here in Hamden, stocking up before traveling internationally to sell their finds. You can tell who's who. Those exporting to Africa and South America only choose warm weather clothes, like t-shirts and flip flops. The stuff they leave behind heads through the doors to Goodwill's recycling center. Specialty buyers purchase in bulk. One will buy hats, another wires to be stripped of their copper. There's even a stuffed animal buyer who shaves teddy bears of their dirty fur and sets them up for resale in arcade claw machines. The leftover clothes are tipped onto a conveyor belt, compressed into 1,000-pound bales, and then stacked. They might be shredded and used to stuff cushions, cut into rags, or get exported abroad. It's just a small slice of a global secondhand market, one that Adam Minter says young Americans are increasingly participating in.
7: There's no question there's a generational shift, and and there's all kinds of consumer survey data showing that younger consumers, uh, Gen Z, uh, starting with Gen Z primarily, are open to this idea of use and reuse. That's a
2: big change from the stigma of the past.
7: My grandmother, uh, uh, you know, was a Depression baby. Um, she would shop at Goodwill even when she had enough in her pocket. Um, but you know, when I would tell people as I was growing up, I was going to Goodwill with my grandmother, you could sort of see the side eyes glance. That's a place where poor people shop. Poor people go to the thrift shop.
2: Is this newfound interest or recent uptick in thrifting? Is it actually making a dent at all in terms of? consumption of new things in America?
7: I don't think that it is making much of a dent in the consumption of new things. What people want when they go shopping um, is they want to see that there's, you know, 10 of that blue blouse in various sizes that I can try on. Um, It's fun to go to the thrift shop and uh, see only one, and maybe you get lucky and it fits you, but, you know, it's not what most people ultimately are looking for,
2: but thrift stores aren't the only option anymore. Minter says big brands like Patagonia and superstores like Walmart have begun offering secondhand options on their websites.
7: This is part of you know a massive consumer shift um, that's not necessarily going to happen overnight, but I do think we are seeing a, a change where you are going to have secondhand used clothing as a bigger part of the overall apparel retail chain.
2: And I can imagine then that incentivizes manufacturers or brands to make things that are made to last because they can profit from it lasting longer.
7: Well, that's what's so exciting about this. You know, once these brands recognize that people are buying and selling and interested in buying and selling their used garments, um, they not only want to get involved, but they want to figure out a way that they they can monetize that value better. Ultimately, it's good for the businesses, but it's ultimately good for the environment because we want those more durable clothes. The longer the clothes last, the less impact they have on the environment.
2: Back at RISD, Hanre Yan continues to sew and thrift. But after nearly two years, his no new clothes streak came to an end.
1: I think I broke it for dress socks, actually. <laughs> so I have to get some new dress socks. But yeah, so it's just shy, like about a year and three quarter
2: and socks weren't the only challenge.
1: Underwear, I, that was one of the things that did end the buying new clothes thing, Is getting new underwear. I did a couple experiments with buying old t-shirts and sewing new underwear, but I never quite got the hand of it, and like so underwear, especially with things like elastic, which is really tricky to sew right for me, and I think I just need a little more time and practice, so.
2: I don't think anyone blames me for that one. (laughs) Yeah. And for those of us who prefer not to pick up a needle and thread, Adam Minter has some suggestions. What's your short take on what's the most responsible way to be a consumer of clothes?
7: The most responsible way to be a consumer of clothes is buy secondhand, but let's all recognize that sooner or later we're going to want to buy new stuff. Don't feel bad about that, but when you buy new stuff, buy quality, stuff that in your mind uh, can be handed down to someone else's kid or uh, donated to the Goodwill or sold on eBay. By durability, stuff that can be reused that can feed that secondhand economy.
1: A little dirty in some spots, but I think I may have just darned one of these sleeves.
2: It's a concept watch that Jan is, is trying to warm up longer, to.
1: So I'm definitely not so strict anymore. Every once in a while if I need something and I can't make it or don't have the time to make it and can't find it and it and repair it, then I'll go and get something new. So it's kind of like getting something new is the last resort if all my other things don't work out.
3: POP UP PVD is holding an event July 16th on Ives Street in Fox Point. Up next we meet the new superintendent of Providence's beleaguered school system. Dr. Javier Montanez rose through the local ranks, from student to teacher to principal He is the fourth head of Providence schools in just three years in charge of turning around a school system as broken as his life once was.
0: This is where it all started. It's so uh, surreal. I remember coming in the first day I came in, I had 26 students looking up at you. There's nothing in the world that gives you satisfaction when that light turns I, on for a child and they get it.
3: Nearly three decades ago, Dr. Javier Montanez started his career as a second grade bilingual teacher here at the Spaziano Elementary School. Now he's gone to the head of the class as new superintendent of Providence Schools. He was appointed in April after the last superintendent resigned amid scandal in his administration.
1: The Providence Public Schools have a new interim superintendent following the resignation of former superintendent Harrison Peters. Peters was pushed out amid controversy over a hiring decision he made. Now state leaders have announced Dr. Javier Montañez will lead the district temporarily. ¿Está bien?
0: ¿Cómo está? ¿Cómo está?
3: MONTAÑEZ HAS BEGUN HIS TENURE BY VISITING AT LEAST TWO OF THE 40 SCHOOLS IN HIS DISTRICT EVERY DAY.
0: EVERY STUDENT THAT I'VE KNOWN THAT HAVE GONE THROUGH THIS CLASS HAS DONE FANTASTIC IN SCHOOL. YOU KNOW WHY? she cares. This is a friendship. A long time in the making friendship.
3: So you're a hands-on administrator.
0: If I expect you to do a job, I should be able to do it as well. If I expect you to uh, work with students, I should be able to walk into a classroom and work with students. If I expect you to run a building, I should go into the building and see how the building is running, give you feedback, and then help, help the individuals grow. I mean, it's a team. Every time I go to a different school, I meet with principals. I stop by and speak with teachers. I speak with students. I was just at one school where a parent says, this is the first time I see a superintendent in the building, visiting the building. Why is that the exception when it should be the norm? This is how you can actually get feedback and you can coach individuals, and then the students get to see that they're so important that you're going into their classroom to see what they're learning, and you actually sit down and learn with the students.
3: His enthusiasm for educating students is obvious. However, the assignment is enormous, turning around the most challenged school district in Rhode Island. Why would you want to take on this job?
0: Why not? This is my back this is my background this is this is my backyard so if I'm going to give my all I'm going to give it all for my community our kids I've been here Providence gave me the opportunity to become the person that I am today This is actually teaching you a lesson life lesson
3: Life for Montañez wasn't always easy he didn't like school as a youngster because he suffered from undiagnosed dyslexia it made participating in class painful
0: I was trying to read but I really didn't know how to so I was thinking, looking at the pictures and make my own story. They were all laughing at me. But when I looked to support for the classroom teacher, it felt like she was also laughing at me.
3: Humiliated, he says he only kept going
0: to school to get food. I made sure that I went to school because I was hungry. That was the reason why I went to
3: school. So you I went to get free meals at free school? Free meals. In his freshman year at Hope High School, Montanez says his theater teacher helped him overcome his reading disability. Still, at 16, he says home life became so dysfunctional and dangerous, he dropped out of school.
0: A lot of stuff happened in between. Um, I will say that I was just a, a young man with circumstances in my life and. and that were we, tough. That were tough because it wasn't about school. It was at that at some point in my life, it was about survival.
3: And you were homeless at one point? Yeah,
0: a few years well, during high school.
3: Was it true that you slept under a tree at Roger Williams Park? Oh, yes. You smile when you say that, that
0: that, that had to be... Because, I mean, what what am I gonna do, cry about it? You know, it it made me the person I am today. made me appreciate the small things in life.
3: Montanez says back then, his turning point came as he was starting his own family. That's when he decided to go back to school, earning his GED, bachelor's degree, master's and PhD. What was it inside of you that changed, that made you take the path that you did through education? At the end of
0: the day, I tell individuals it's choices. There's no guarantee when you make the right choice there won't be any bumps in the road, but you're giving yourself a better opportunity.
3: And that opportunity has taken Montanez from Providence school student to teacher, principal, and now superintendent.
6: After a year of uncertainty, we now know that Dr. Javier Montanez will stay on as Providence superintendent.
3: Before being appointed, Montanez had been acting superintendent. Some parents and politicians who, though they approve of Montanez, were critical of the selection process because there was no candidate search allowing community input Martínez dismisses the issue
0: I don't focus on that I focus at the at the at the work I have ahead of me and more, more importantly our students I made sure that we started working extremely hard with communicating I reconnected with the community the community partners
3: a community that is understandably skeptical a shocking report in 2019 by experts at Johns Hopkins University found 90 percent of Providence students are not proficient in math and nearly as many in language arts when the assessors visited the district's classrooms they noted real learning wasn't taking place the state stepped in and took over that same year
0: I don't see it as a state takeover I see it as an intervention. We have a turnaround action plan created with the community that's setting the tone. That's my Northern star.
3: Montanez is still navigating specifics of the new metrics, having just taken the helm following the pandemic. He's currently focusing on wraparound services for all of the district's 24,000 students, 84% of which live in low-income households. If individuals have
0: uh, struggles, how do we help that individual? How do we help that family? The unified curriculum that we have in, in Providence now, it wasn't there here before. So we're able to track students in, especially in Providence where they move, a, they move a lot, so they go to different schools. At least now, because we're using the same curriculum, because we're using the data, the data is put into, into, the, into the computer system, no matter where that child goes, it's just get the child's name, brings it up, it tells you exactly what reading level they are. I
3: get the feeling that turning these schools around is not just a professional goal for you, it's personal. Absolutely, absolutely. Because of all that you've been through. Absolutely.
0: If I can save, I can't even use the word save, if I can help or direct or put individuals on the track to success, that's what makes me happy.
3: But he says real happiness will come when he achieves his greatest goal, getting all of Rhode Island to respect his school district. The mindset of individuals,
0: the paradigm shift from Providence to Providence. So I think it's just a mindset right now that we're battling with because of the years and decades of neglect. So it's it's hard for people to begin to trust and believe. But when you have hope and you have a dream and you have the tenacity to see it through, you'll get done.
4: Montañez is an advocate for year-round school and schools that take a student from kindergarten through eighth grade. Finally tonight, Lila
5: Alphonse offers commentary on Roe v. Wade. The leaked draft majority opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court showing that they're ready to strike down Roe v. Wade sparked anger on the left, jubilation on the right, and concerns about bodily autonomy and privacy across the political spectrum. The landmark 1973 decision protects women's rights to an abortion, and overturning that decision would nearly immediately ban abortion in about half the country, thanks to trigger laws in place in many Republican-controlled states. In Rhode Island, the 2019 Reproductive Privacy Act codified Roe v. Wade into state law, protecting the right to an abortion in the state. But while access to abortion is a right in Rhode Island, exercising that right may be difficult. There's no mandatory counseling required beforehand, but the number of abortion providers in the state has dwindled. Those that remain are in the Providence area, which makes access difficult for people without reliable transportation. The Hyde Amendment of 1977 prohibits the use of federal funds to pay for abortions, which means that state employees and people who rely on Medicaid in Rhode Island would have to pay out of pocket for the procedure. That can run anywhere from $600 to $5,000 or more, and that doesn't include lost wages or paying for transportation or childcare or other costs. When Rhode Island's Reproductive Privacy Act was being discussed, pro-choice activists and lawmakers were criticized for overreacting and having a, quote, alarmist mentality about the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned. In 2018, then House Speaker Nicholas Mattiello called it, quote, a concern that is not rooted in reality. It's unclear whether the leaked Supreme Court draft is actually the high court's final decision, but the reality is now stark. The draft's language references texts from the 1700s that justify marital rape and ignores the fact that women had no legal status of their own at the time the constitution was written. They were legal wards of their husbands. It also cracks open the door to rolling back the rights to privacy on which the decision was based. What does that mean for other rights both men and women often take for granted? Well, since access to contraception, HIPAA rights, LGBTQIA rights, same-sex marriage, and even interracial marriage are also based on rights to privacy, they could be put at risk as well. About two-thirds of Americans support abortion rights according to a recent Washington Post-ABC poll. But everyone should be concerned about a decision that strips rights away from others, especially when the right it's based on, privacy, is one that's important to all of us.
4: Our thanks to Lila Alphonse. That's our broadcast this evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm David Wright.
3: I'm Pamela Watts. We'll be back next week with another edition of Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Until then, you can visit us online to see all of our stories and past episodes at ripbs.org weekly, or listen to our podcast available on all your favorite audio streaming platforms. Thank you and good night.